statements that you shake your head at. Things that people say that make you think they're crazy. Uh, I don't know how often that happens to you. Uh, I don't know how often the statements you say make other people wonder if you're crazy. We all have times in our life where either we say or somebody says to us something that just shocks us and uh, takes us aback. Sometimes those are really serious statements that make us go, what in the world? And other times they're just interesting uh, or funny type uh, of things. Uh, we had our July 4th picnic last week, and it went fantastic. I don't, I don't think it could have went uh, any better. and just was a great, great time. And uh, my dad and Ronnie uh, Stout were the chefs. They cooked the hamburgers that day. And uh, I heard a story, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's true uh, or not, might be apocryphal, might be made up, uh, but I heard that a lady walked up uh, to Dad and Ronnie while they were cooking, and a lady said to them, uh, I want a cheeseburger with no cheese. Cheeseburger with no cheese. And uh, what I heard was that Ronnie looked at the lady and said, so you want a hamburger? And the lady said, no, I do not want a hamburger. I want a cheeseburger with no cheese cheese at that point dad chimed in story goes dad said that's a hamburger you want a hamburger they said no I want a cheeseburger with no cheese and Ronnie just kind of sat there befuddled no it did said okay what you really want a hamburger lady said I've told you guys three times I don't want a hamburger I don't eat pork and I don't eat pigs I don't want a hamburger I want a cheeseburger with no cheese some of you will figure that out on the way home you'll get that You'll get that joke. Don't want a hamburger. Don't want any pork. Don't want to eat that. Sometimes people say things to us that we look at them and we think, what in the world? By the way, that story was made up. Thankfully, nobody in our church said that. A few of you, I can imagine you saying it, though. Sometimes people say things to us where we look at them and we think, what are you talking about? Sometimes people say things to us and we say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not willing to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in that. Sometimes people say things that we wouldn't expect them to say. Maybe somebody else, but not them. Over the next few weeks as we move in uh, into the fall, kind of our pre-fall set of sermons that I want to look at, is I want to look at some of the shocking statements that Jesus said, some of the statements that Jesus said that make people scratch their head that make people go, no way, I'm not following a guy that says that, or maybe makes believers say, well, why did Jesus say that? I want to follow him, but what could he have meant? And so over the next few uh, Sundays when I'm preaching, I want to look at some of the most shocking statements that Jesus said. Now remember, Jesus was crucified. He was killed. He was put to death. And they didn't put him to death just because he was some nice man. They put him to death because of things that he did and statements that he made. And many of these statements that Jesus said that got him crucified, that got the Jewish people to turn against him, they're just as shocking today as they were when Jesus first said them. Shocking statements of Jesus. Now if you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are responsible for listening to what the Master says and to allow the Holy Spirit and God's Word to apply that to your life so that you can live in to some of these shocking statements that He made. If you're not a believer today, 
If you're not a believer today, you have a choice. You have a choice. Will you embrace the Jesus who made these shocking statements? Or you allow them to cause you to turn away and to leave Jesus and to refuse to follow him? Many chose to follow, but many of these statements were also things that made people say, I don't want any part of Jesus. And let's not play any games this morning. Most important decision before you is what will you do with Jesus? Will you follow him or not? And so we don't need to play games with you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we don't need to play games. We don't need to present to you a false Jesus. We need to let you squarely, right in the face, see this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has said, and will you follow him or not? If you have found that Jesus is trustworthy, say amen. But maybe today there's some here that you still wonder about that. How can I follow Jesus? What does Jesus mean by these things? Shocking statements of Jesus. For the first one, go to John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6. And we're going to look today at the first shocking statement of Jesus. For some of you, this will be familiar. For some of you, it will be the first time you've heard this passage before for some of you might have heard it before but you've wondered what exactly is Jesus getting at so John chapter 6 starting in verse 47 John chapter 6 verse 47 and we're going to read together and uh, Jesus is going to make some pretty profound statements so let's look at this shocking statement that Jesus makes in John chapter 6 Verse 47, Jesus is in the middle of a discourse. He's in the middle of a conversation. And Jesus says here uh, to the people that are gathered listening, he says, verily, verily, or truly, truly, this is the truth that I'm about to say to you. This is quotable. You better put this down. Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you that he that believes on me, the one that believes in me, has everlasting Life. Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you follow me, if you trust me, you will have everlasting life. Well, how can that be? How can Jesus give everlasting life? He says, verse 48, because, look what he says, I am the bread of life. Now he's talking to Jews, and so he brings up a little of their history. He says, your fathers, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Remember that? The children of Israel were going through the wilderness they were following Moses they ran out of food and God said I'm going to supernaturally supply you with food to eat and manna came down from heaven and they ate and they lived at least for a little while they lived for a little while they lived Jesus says verse 48 I'm the bread of life your fathers ate manna in the wilderness but now what are they they are dead this this is the bread which comes down from heaven which has come down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. This got them stirred up. How can this man give us his flesh to eat. How can Jesus say this, that if you eat of me, you eat my flesh, you'll live forever? Then Jesus said unto them, 
Verily, verily, or truly, I say unto you, except you eat. They're saying, how, how can he do this? How can he do this? And Jesus doesn't really address that. He just looks them in the face and says, you can debate that all day, but I want you to know something. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. He just upped the ante. He's already said one thing that, that, that's kind of wild. You've got to eat my flesh. Then he throws the second thing. He says, not only you've got to eat my flesh, but you've got to drink my blood. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever or whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed. My flesh is sustenance. And my blood is drink indeed. So he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me. He says, you do that, there's a connection then between me and you. And that connection is this. He that eats me, he says, if he does that, verse 56, he will dwell in me and I in him. Verse 57, as the living Father has sent me and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread. Keep saying this over and over again. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. Where did Jesus say these things at? Look at verse 59. He said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So you can imagine a, a crowd in the synagogue in their place of worship, gathered kind of like today to worship, and Jesus gets up and says this. I mean, if I got up here today and I said, you got to eat my flesh, and you got to drink my blood to live forever. Some of you would think to yourself, I didn't know our pastor watched The Walking Dead. He's gone crazy. Remember those zombies? Jesus gets up in a church service in a synagogue, and Jesus said, unless you eat me, unless you drink my blood, you shall not live. But if you do, you'll live forever. Verse 60, many therefore... Of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Sometimes we, we hear something, but we don't really hear it. Sometimes we hear the words, but we don't really hear what's behind the words. And Jesus says, or his disciples say, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself, Jesus knew they were thinking this, that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? Hard sayings of Jesus, number one. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. At this point in his ministry, Jesus had turned water into wine. By this point in his ministry, Jesus had gone into the temple and he, for once, he did it multiple times, but he's one time already gone to the temple and confronted leaders because they had corrupted the use of it. You can read that in John 2. By now, a well-respected rabbi by the name of Nicodemus had come to him in the night asking him spiritual questions. By now, Jesus had had the conversation with the woman at the well who had about as many husbands as you could imagine and at that time was living and, and, and active with a man that wasn't her husband, he'd already encountered her. He'd already seen the salvations that came about because of the people in that city that believed in him because of the encounter he had with her. Jesus, at this point, had already miraculously fed the multitudes with bread 
and done other miracles. John chapter 6, or in the chapter, they'd already had a crisis where the crowds that were there didn't have food, and he had supplied for them physical food to eat so that they could survive and keep going. Matter of fact, there were so many people impressed with Jesus that when he crossed over to Capernaum, they found a way to get there as well because the crowd, the crowd wanted more of Jesus. And so the crowd had found a way to get to Jesus. So Jesus has a crowd. In fact, Jesus has a big crowd. And Jesus has a booming ministry. And the religious leaders are coming and the common people are coming. And Gentiles are starting to hear about Jesus and they want to know what's going on. And everything is going so well. And then in the midst of all this, Jesus drops a bomb in a synagogue. When he looks out at this crowd and he says to them, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will die. But if you eat my flesh and if you drink my blood, you will live forever. What could Jesus have meant? And what does this mean for us today? Here his ministry is going full throttle and he says, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know, we have a crowd here today. We have a crowd like the synagogue had. But I wonder, will you respond? How will you respond to Jesus' statement today through his word? Do you? We know how that crowd responded. If you continue reading in the Bible, you will find that this is one of those moments when Jesus says this, that many of the crowd leave him. Many of the crowd go away. Many of the religious leaders are no longer neutral about Jesus. This is one of those moments where they decide, I will not go with Jesus. We have a crowd today. We have a crowd. How will the crowd today respond to Jesus? Now to think about what Jesus is doing, you've got to remember that bread It's a staple food today, but in the ancient world, they didn't have all the choices we had. They didn't have all the options. Uh, They didn't have different places to fix all these meals. And bread was really, I mean, bread was a staple of their diet, especially if you were poor. If you were poor, bread was something that you could get and that you needed. And so this morning, when Jesus says he is the living bread, the bread of life, what he is saying is, I am the one thing that can sustain you. I not just sustain you for the moment, but I am the one thing that can give you life for all of eternity. I am Jesus saying, I am the one thing that can overcome death. I am the bread of life. Say that after me. Say bread of life. Jesus says, I'm, you want bread? You've seen bread? You need bread? I am the bread of life of life. What you need is not more new jewelry. What you need is not more automobiles. What you need are not more books. What you need are not more musical instruments. What you need is not a bigger house. What you need is not a better person to date. What you need is not a perfect spouse to spend the rest of your life with. What you need is not a better boss. You may in one sense need all those things, but ultimately what you need is none of those things. The one thing you need is Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, I don't know that you're going to be able to see this. I did a bad job, but put this quote up here and I'll read this. So in the Roman Empire at this time, uh, around, roughly around this time, there's a guy named Cicero. And the Roman Empire, man, they begin giving people bread. 
And they, I mean, the Roman Empire had blown up, and they're like, how are we going to take care of all these people? We've conquered all these countries. How are we going to take care of them? And there begin to be rioting, and there begin to be morality, begin to go way down, people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, and, and there was all this confusion. And, and so the Roman government were like, how are we going to keep all these people under control? How are we going to stop the rioting? How are we going to stop uh, all the problems? And they came up with an idea. They said, you know what? Really, it just takes two things to keep people servants. It only takes two things to keep a man and a woman a slave. If we give them bread and we provide games for them to attend, if we provide entertainment, and the more shocking the entertainment, the better, if we give them food and we give them entertainment, then we can keep the masses from distracted. We can keep them distracted as we take more and more of their freedom away. And so Cicero said this. He said, you know, the evil was not in the bread and circuses. Cicero lived during this time. He said, the, the bread, there's nothing inherently wrong with bread. And there's nothing wrong with going to a game. There's nothing wrong with going to a football game or a basketball game. There's nothing wrong with that. He said, the evil was not in the bread and circuses. But it was in people's willingness, the evil was in the willingness of people to sell their rights, to give their rights away for full bellies, full bellies, which would serve to distract them from the other human hungers which bread and circuses can never appease. We live in a world where we got plenty of bread and we got plenty of entertainment. But can I tell you today that if you're planning and you're counting and you're believing that the things of this world are going to give you satisfaction, you are wrong. You are only selling yourself and your soul into slavery one step at a time. There is only one who can meet the deepest human need in your life, and that one is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, I am bread. You want bread? You need bread? I am bread. Jesus is saying, I am what you most need. In that crowd, in that crowd were people who had seen Jesus already provide physical food. They'd already seen Jesus do a miracle where he had provided food for a crowd. You, that, you read that earlier in John. He'd already done that one time. And so there are people who'd already been given physical food. And so Jesus had met their physical need in that moment. They decided maybe Jesus can do that again. Maybe Jesus can do another sign. Maybe he can do another wonder. Maybe he can perform something else like this. And so they follow Jesus thinking maybe he'll do a miracle like that again. But you know what Jesus is telling them on that day? He's telling them, you better not follow me just for the signs. You better not follow me just because what I might do for you in the moment. You better follow me because you realize that I am the giver of eternal life. And if you're just following me for the show, then you better get out now. And that is why Jesus throws down the gauntlet and he says this hard saying. See, he turns the bread into food for people and that meets their physical need and that gets them excited and everybody can see that. And now Jesus says a statement that's hard to understand. And he throws that statement out there because Jesus, he's saying this, only those that really want to be with me, only those that really want to follow me, only those who they don't fully get it but are, but are at least tracking with me about what it means to be a disciple, only those who really want the game, that's the only people that are going to stick with me after I throw down the gauntlet and I tell them, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. So there was a crowd that day. You can get a crowd to see what's going on. 
You can get a crowd to gather to see what's happening. But you know one thing Jesus is telling us, and he does it over and over again. Jesus is saying, I don't want just a crowd. I don't need a crowd. I didn't come to get a crowd. Bread and circuses can give you a crowd. Jesus is saying, I came for disciples. I came for those who understand that I'm what it's all about. If you believe Jesus is what it's all about, say amen. And so he throws it down. He says, you want bread? I'll give you bread. I'll give you bread, but understand, you want this bread, you got to go all in with me. Look at verses 53 and 54. Look, look at them. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You're a dead man walking until my flesh and my blood rejuvenates you. You're really already dead, you just don't know it. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus saying, body and blood, you've got to embrace all of me. It can't just be part of me. You must embrace everything about me. My body, my blood, it all, you can't take part of me. You can't just take the miracle that I've done over here. You can't just be part of the crowd. You've got to determine through the power of God's Spirit, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. And when you're a disciple, you don't just do some of what the master says. It's all in or nothing. There's a, another story, and we really don't know if this is true or not, but it's, it's a prominent story that is told. And it's a story that illustrates this truth pretty good about how Christians sometimes are. Back in the Middle Ages when the Crusades were being fought, uh, there was a great group of warrior Christians. And uh, they were known as the Knights Templar. Brother Rick, show them, that, show them that picture. The Knights Templar were known for the red cross that they would wear. And the Knights Templar were a warrior, a group of warriors that in the Middle East, uh, they got started by providing protection for Christians who had traveled to Jerusalem. They provided protection. And they grew, and they grew in influence, they grew in power, and they spread all over Europe. And they, they, they did more than just fighting, they also got into banking and, and, and did a lot of things. And and uh, became a really huge deal. And there's this legend, whether it's true or not, we don't know, but there's a legend that when the soldiers of the Knights Templar were baptized, when of them get baptized, when they would get initiated, that when they baptized them, they would actually immerse them, which is a little different than how baptism was being done at Catholics among that time, but they would immerse the Knights Templar. And the story went, and the story goes, that when they would immerse these warriors, when they immersed them in the water, everything went under the water except one thing. The one thing that did not go in the water was they took their sword and they held the sword out of the water. And they would not let the sword go under. And that was a sign. And the sign, the story goes, is that Jesus got everything about them except the sword. Because when it came to being vicious, and when it came to conquering, when it came to taking over the infidels, they were going to do it this way, and Jesus got everything else except that. He would not get the sword. Can I tell you something today? That's a man-made ritual that may or may not be true. But the truth is, when it comes to Jesus, you don't get to withhold anything. Nothing. See what's scary today as a pastor, the people that I love in this room? 
some of you, when it comes to Jesus, you withhold some things. You're part of the crowd. You're part of the crowd, but when it comes to your wallet, you're going to withhold that. When it comes to your watch, when it comes to your time, you're going to withhold that. When it comes to your talent, your musical talent, or your teaching talent, your abilities, uh, you'll give that to somebody else, but you're not going to give that to the Lord's work through the church. That talent belongs to you. I've seen a lot of parents over the years. You'll give everything. I've known parents that have given everything, except they wouldn't give their child. They wouldn't give their child. There were too many other things, too many other opportunities, too much other stuff to turn that child loose. I'm afraid that if I turn my child loose, they might move away one day. They might enter into the ministry and move somewhere else. If I turn my child loose to God, when it comes to who they're going to marry, they might not just do what I want. They might marry somebody who's a great Christian but has no money has no resources, is not of our social stature. I've known people. I've grown up with people in this town that their parents were wonderful Christian people, but they had an expectation, my child will marry somebody in this socioeconomic sphere. They will do it. And Jesus can have everything else. But if Jesus introduces my daughter or my son to somebody that doesn't enter into this socioeconomic group, I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. Some people withhold their watch. Some people withhold their wallet. Some people withhold their talent. Some people withhold their children. Some people withhold their eyes. I know I shouldn't watch this show. I know I should not look at this pornography. I know that I should not feast on these things, but you say, Jesus, you can have everything else, but you can't have my eyes. Some of you withhold your ears. Jesus, you can have everything else, but I know that this is not good for me to listen to. I know that I should walk away, that I really don't need to hear this, because this is just about hurting that person, but Jesus, you get everything but my eyes and ears. I'm going to keep those. Those belong to me. And there's some in this room that Jesus has everything but your mouth. Everything but your mouth. Your mouth belongs to you. You get to say it and use it. However you want. Can I tell you something today? The Knights Templar, whether that story is true or not, when it comes to Jesus, you don't get to hold anything back. And whether or not they withheld the sword or not, we really don't know. But I can promise you today that there are some people right now that the Holy Spirit is convicting because you know in your life that there are things that you are holding back. The crowd will always hold back on Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are not allowed, cannot, it eventually if they're going to stick with him and be a disciple, it eventually comes to a point of will you let it go and give it to Jesus or not. If you want to be a disciple and not just part of the crowd, say amen. There's a crowd in the synagogue that day. There's a crowd in our sanctuary. And Jesus has a big crowd, a big group that is gathered together. And he tells them, you've got to trust me. You've got to go all in. You can't just be here for the show. You've got to be here for the totality. You know, disciples don't just watch Jesus. The crowd wanted to watch. The crowd wanted to kind of go and watch, but they did not want to invest. And when he gives this call to invest in him, in his body, in his blood, to go all in with him, the crowd begins to fade away. Disciples don't just watch. Disciples worship with a passion. The crowd comes to watch the show that is being put on. The disciple comes and says, these are my hands and these are my feet. 
And Jesus, I give them to you because of your precious blood where the power is that was shed for me. A crowd comes to watch. The disciple says, Jesus, this is mine, and I give it to you. Cookville has plenty of a crowd. The state of Tennessee has plenty of a crowd when it comes to Jesus. You know, the one thing that Cookville needs a lot more of, that this state needs a lot more of, that this nation needs a lot more of, that our church needs a lot more of, let the crowd come. There will always be a crowd. But what we need more of is we need more of Jesus and people that are sold out as his disciples. The crowd fools themselves. And there are parents. There are parents that when it comes to their children, they're not teaching them to be disciples. They're just saying, hey, I'll bring them every now and then, and they'll be all right because they're part of the church, and they're Christian, and they believe in Jesus. Jesus is not just saying here, show up every once in a while and tell people you're a Christian. Jesus is saying, you got to go all in. you got to eat my flesh. you got to drink my blood. i got to be your everything. And it's not just words. It's got to be shown through the actions that you do. And there are some parents that, man, they have time for everything else, but not time for Jesus. Not time for him. The disciple doesn't just watch. The disciple worships with passion. The disciple uses their time to serve others like Jesus did. And that's not just in this place. That's just a way of life. Disciples don't just watch. They model what the master is doing. And so the crowd watches Jesus in the synagogue. And in churches all around this city right now, there are crowds that are watching. They are watching, 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 but they will never move from part of the crowd to being the disciple that the master demands. Eat my body and drink my blood. Jesus made things very simple. But he also, from time to time, in the midst of his simple teaching, from time to time he would say things like this that were not simple and were not easy to grasp at first hearing. Jesus would say things like this to see who's really with me, who wants to follow, who truly wants to find out what the meaning of these words are that I'm saying. The crowd could not do this. The crowd just said, no way, I'm not being a part of that, and the crowd walked away. The disciple is a little different. Eat the body and drink the blood. Jesus will not lower his standard. Listen now. Jesus will not lower his standard for the crowd. Jesus will not cave. He will not let the crowd feel that it's all okay. He's looking them in the face and he's saying it's not okay. Because you're not all in. You are not all in with me. You're just part of the crowd that's watching the show. And here's the thing about the crowd. The crowd that watches the show, you know where their destiny is? The crowd that watches the show and that's all they ever do, Jesus cannot play games with them because the crowd that watches the show will be the same crowd that will put him on the cross, the same crowd that yells crucify him, the same crowd that will damn their souls to hell and let's make no doubt about it there are people in this church and there are people in other churches right now that are part of a crowd but they are damned for eternity because they are not a disciple of Jesus they are not all in with Jesus they are not saying whatever it is Jesus I don't understand it all but I'm all in there are plenty of people that are part of the crowd Jesus is not looking for a crowd Jesus is looking for disciples 
Hear me, deacons. Hear me, teachers. Hear me, musicians. Hear me, church member. The crowd will always say, that's too much. That's too hard. Why do you got to be like that, pastor? Why do you got to be like that, deacons? Why do you got to do this? You know why at some point you have to do it? Because Jesus did it, and Jesus looked at people and said, at some point you got to stop playing the game, and you got to get real. You got to get real. Now, it's not my job. Some things are clear that are against the fruit of the Spirit. Some things are obvious that they're not what God says to do, and you have to say, we're not going to do that. Like, that's just not the way it's going to be. But there are other things that only you and God know. The other things that only you and God know about whether or not you are sitting with the crowd or whether you are being that disciple. And it's not my job, thank the Lord, it's not my job to go around and pry into every aspect of your business to find out. That's not what I'm called to do. But I want to tell you today that I am called to proclaim that Jesus said, you either eat my flesh and drink my blood, you're either all in or you're part of the crowd. It's just going to fade away. And I want to say to Jesus today, I want to say to him, these are my hands. And these are my feet. But more than that, Lord, they're your hands. And they're your feet. And they belong to you. If you want to be all in with Jesus, say amen. There's really no other option. It's either all in or it's nothing. And so Jesus won't lower the standard and he won't lower the expectation. And and apparently this offended them. But not only them, some of the disciples begin to think, why does Jesus have to say that? Why does Jesus have to maintain that standard? We got a crowd, Jesus. We got a group, Jesus. Why you got to look them? I mean, they've come to hear you. They've showed up. Yeah, Jesus, they're not going to come all the time, but man, they're, I mean, they're, they're giving you this little amount of time right here. Jesus, why can't you just be okay with them? And look at what Jesus says to the disciples. Look at verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? The disciples were saying, I, they, apparently they, they get this a little bit. They got it a little bit. Not all of it, but they got it a little bit. Because they say, whoa, Jesus who's drawn this big crowd just dropped a bomb into it and says, hey, you either eat this flesh and drink this blood or get out. And the disciples say, Jesus, you got to say that? And Jesus, that's harsh. Jesus, that's hard. Jesus, we like the crowd. We like the crowd, man. We're just fishermen. We're just nobodies that you called to be a part of your mission. And you've been doing some awesome stuff. And Jesus, this is incredible for us to be a part of this, to see what you're doing. We've got this great big crowd here. And now you look them in the face and you tell them you're either all in with me or nothing? Why? And Jesus says, verse 61, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you that I have come for disciples and not merely to gather another crowd? Some of you just want a little bit of Jesus. You just want to make sure your kids get just a little bit so it can make you feel a little bit better. 
You want your nieces and nephews to get a little bit. So when you gather together twice a year for dinners, you can all say, man, we're, we're Christians. You want to make sure your grandkids get just a little bit. Just a little bit. So it can make you feel a little bit better. And you can say, well, they got just a little bit. They got just a little bit. Preacher, why can't you just let us be okay with a little bit? Because Jesus looks people in the face and he says, you either depend on me totally and it is evident in your life. Or you got nothing. And the disciples look at Jesus and they say, this is going to drive the crowd away. And Jesus says, does this offend you? Because if this statement offends you, this is what salvation is. Salvation is giving me, giving my body and my blood for you. And either you're all in or you're just playing a game. I want to ask a very straightforward, pointed question. More pointed than I really ever get. And we're just going to throw it down and let it be what it is. Let it be what it is. If you're here today, and the truth of the matter is, if Jesus was here, he would have to look at you and say, does it offend you that I'm saying it's all of nothing? If you'll be honest right now and say, Pastor, I struggle with being all in. Will you lift your hand and my hand goes up first because I struggle with this? Raise it. Say, man, preacher, I'm like the disciples. Because there are times my eyes watch things they shouldn't watch. And there are times that my ears keep listening to things that they shouldn't hear. And there's times that I show up to church. And I got plenty of time to talk to everybody else about what's going on. But I can't get into the sanctuary to get ready to praise and worship and lift my voice to Jesus. Because I got other things that I'm talking about that are more important than getting in there and showing my children and showing the next generation and showing Jesus himself that when I show up into your church, it's about one thing. It's about saying to you, these are my hands and these are my feet. And Jesus, I'm here for you. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times people need you to talk to them. And there are times people need some discussion. There's also something wrong when a dad has to get in his car and explain to his kids why some people, some people when it comes to the most important thing, see my boys are still young and tender and they're sinful, they're sinners, but let me tell you something, say where's this coming from preachers, come to what Jesus said, but it's also come from the heart of a father. You were here last week, my son because of the teachers he's had and the people in this church invest in him, he felt the freedom last week to get up here and to come to me for the service and say, I just want to tell people how awesome it is to be saved. And when he knew his little friend was getting baptized, he said, I just want to tell them how great baptism is. My son, is he's got the sin in him just like we all do, but he's still young and his heart's still tender, and he still really believes in his heart that Jesus is the greatest thing in this world. He still believes that. And so you know what he can't understand? He can't understand when it comes to worshiping Jesus why some people in Jesus' house, because i got a smart eight-year-old, why some people in Jesus' house are focused on everything else, it seems like, when it's time to lift up that praise and prayer of the heart, they're worried about everything else except getting in and getting their heart humble before the Lord. You say, that offends me. Tough, because this is Jesus who says, you eat this flesh or you drink this blood or you got no part of me. And my hand goes up first, and my hand says, you know what, sometimes my son hears me say things, hears his mother and I argue, 
And what I'm saying with that, when we had those stupid arguments, I'm saying to my son, Jesus gets everything but my mouth. He gets everything. He gets everything. And my son, he's really smart now, and he's figured out how to work the TV. And I don't watch, I don't, I don't watch horrible stuff. I don't watch horrible stuff. But he's figured out now he can scroll through and see what movies I watch. And I promise you, according to the world, they're not really that bad. They're not that bad. But you know what an 8-year-old will do? An 8-year-old will make you think, well, maybe the standard shouldn't just be rated R movies. Maybe the fact is I shouldn't have that PG-13 movie on there either because now my son can read and he's wanting to know, Daddy, how come it says that on there? preacher you're getting way too real i want to be at a church where where with a crowd this offends me i don't want this and jesus says today church you're either all in with me or nothing and the crowd in that day withers away and the crowd walks away and the crowd leaves jesus But the disciples hear, and it's hard, it's hard, but they hear. And they kneel down and they say, Lord, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow you and we're going to keep going with you. This past week, my son, he went to the library a week ago and uh, he checked out the big encyclopedia, huge encyclopedia, big white book. And it has all kinds of stuff in it and and stuff that, honestly, he checked this book out. We're thinking encyclopedia, like, this is wonderful, right? Well, there's all kinds of things in encyclopedia that an 8-year-old probably doesn't even know about yet. But he's a smart kid. And he started asking my wife some questions last week. Because he's a smart kid, and he started reading stuff, started asking. Some of it's funny. But some of it's really serious. Because I know one day I'm going to have to look at my son and I'm going to have to tell my son, Jesus wants you to keep yourself pure until you meet the woman you're supposed to marry. And yet just about every television show is going to tell him, you're an idiot if you do that. I'm going to have to one day look at my son and really explain to him, God created them male and female. While our nation is in this rush of saying there is no such thing as male and female. That's all been made up. You just do whatever you want with you. And i got to explain to my son, that's a lie. That's a lie. God said he made them male and female. And you either be the man God wants or you won't. It's that simple. One day, my son is going to realize that the people that come to church that are really sold out and really show up on a Sunday, that really want a word from Jesus, are probably in the minority. Because way too many people just show up to be part of a crowd, because that's what they're supposed to do. And one day, my son is going to get big enough that he's not going to ask me words. He's just going to look at my life. And he's just going to see, has daddy, who's been doing all this preaching, Is he really as sold out to Jesus as the words that come from his mouth? And one day your kid will look at you with the same eyes. And your grandchild will look at you with the same eyes. 
And that person that you've been talking to about Jesus at school will look at you with the same eyes. And the person on the job will look at you with the same eyes. And the words won't matter. They will know by what you're doing. Did you think a sermon series called Shocking Statements of Jesus was going to be another Sunday stroll in the park? Because sometimes with Jesus, you don't stroll through the park. Sometimes with Jesus, you go to a cross and you take your sin and you let Jesus put that sin on the cross and he either crucifies it and you let it hang there with him and you get honest about who you are and what you're doing and it stays there with Jesus or you walk out and you walk away from him. So my hand's the first one to go up today. Jesus, sometimes I don't want you to be all that there is because my eyes want to see something else. Sometimes, Jesus, I don't want you to be all there is because some of these church people are sorry and I want to gossip about them. Sometimes you've got to talk about stuff, but, you know, sometimes somebody looks at me and says, man, what about brother so-and-so? And brother so-and-so has done a whole lot. And I'm thinking to myself, this is my chance to let them know they're exactly right about brother so-and-so. And Jesus is saying, preacher, don't gossip. You don't have to respond to that. My hand goes up first. What about yours? What about yours when Jesus says, does this offend you? I know where I'm going to be in this thing. I'm going to be in the altar. I'm going to be in the altar. Because I know my hands and my feet are not always plugged in with Jesus. But I know he says, you either eat this flesh or drink this blood. You either trust me or you don't. Which is it going to be? Would you stand with me this morning? Shocking statements of Jesus. Not all of them are like this. But this is a statement that separates the crowd from the disciple. I asked the leadership first. Deacons, trustees, Sunday school teachers, children's church workers, musicians, you know whether or not it's all about Jesus or not. Are you willing to step out this morning and get an altar and say, Lord, forgive me when it's not? Moms, dads, one day your kid's going to look at your life and it's going to be all about the blood and body of Jesus and who he is or they're going to see other things. They're going to know other things. Students, you don't live on your parents' faith. You say, well, this is the example they set for me, and it's not a good one. Don't worry about that. Jesus isn't going to judge you on what your parents did. He's going to judge you on whether or not you are willing to say, Jesus, I'm all in with you. Will you eat this body? Will you drink this blood? Does this offend you? And if it does, are you going to have that sin nailed to a cross? What? are you going to do we're going to sing but the truth is it shouldn't wait for the music it shouldn't wait for the song right now there should be disciples that are saying Jesus is all about you it's all about you and I need you and I need this time to pray and to commit and to recommit that Jesus it is all about you Lord I ask right now that you would move and that you would speak Lord that you would separate some sheep from some goats that you would call some ghosts today and say, quit playing a game and get serious about me.
some dads, some moms say it's time, it's time that your children one day to be too late. Some folks that come to church to play games, I'll play games, preacher. Then where's your heart at? Where's your mind at? Where are you at? What are you doing? Jesus says, does this offend you? If it offends you, go. Go. The disciples, he says, stay with me and eat this body and drink this blood and I will give you the gift of eternal life. Eternal life. Lord, I ask that you would move right now, Lord, that you would convict us, that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would not be satisfied with being in the crowd. Lord, that there'd be some men that would walk home and they'd go to their DVRs and they'd delete some shows that shouldn't be on there. There'd be some students that would take some music to say, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm not going to put that in my ears. Or there'd be a man or a woman that's been withholding their tithes and their offerings to you because they don't trust you enough to do it. They would say, Lord, it belongs to you. Or some people with some talent, some talent that they would start using, not just in this church, but, Lord, in this community, say, Lord, this talent belongs to you. Help us to never be offended by you. Lord, help us never be ashamed of what you say. Lord, your Holy Spirit, give us the strength to depend on your body and your blood for who we are. Because that's what's shed for us. But Cecil, you sing. We'll pray as Cecil sings. If you just be honest with God, just be honest with him today about what it is you're holding back. Use this time to give it to him. Brother Cecil, sing as we pray.